Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from him. But as, as we heard already, you know, we live in a world that is in upheaval. You know, a lot of change, a lot of stuff going on that we look at and we say, wow, you know, how can this be? But, but the Bible tells us that in the days that we live in, darkness is going to cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But it says also that we as the church, all right, it's not this building, it's you, that, that the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I'm telling you, that is amazing. That means wherever you go, the glory of God is going. You know, sometimes we're praying, oh, God, please, please send your glory down. And he's saying, I did. My son came. He showed you my glory. You've turned to him, and I am working in you to will and to do my good pleasure. Jesus said it's the Word of God says it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. The more we become Christ-like, the more the glory of God is filling this earth. And so if we want the glory of God to be experienced and seen and saturate this earth, then we've got a project. And your project isn't me. And my project isn't you. Because we can never force anybody else to do anything. But we can control one thing, us. And you may, yeah, I, I know there's a pushback on that because we, we think, well, you know, there are things on, in my life that are out of control and I can't control them. But if you would look in Galatians chapter 5 to what the fruit of the Spirit says, the last expression of Holy Spirit having his way in us is self-control. So if you're not there yet, then give God more control so that you can have the control that he wants you to have to be able to be who he has for you to be and do what he has for you to do. Amen? I, 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 we were singing and, and I, that last song, Graves into Gardens, you know, when I first heard it, I, I was so taken by the fact that he puts us together, puts us back together. You know, all of us, we're living in a broken world. And that world does a breaking on us. The enemy is attacking and, and breaking people's lives up. But God, who can do all things? Who can do the impossible? He puts us back together. And he's the only one who can. This is not, not a self-help project. This is a God help us project. Now, we have, to, we have to participate. It's not like God's going to make us do anything. We have to be co-labors with him, not just out in the fields, but in the work in our own hearts, in our own lives. And uh, I, was, I was listening to something this week, and, and I was reminded of something. Uh, when Mickey talked about the, the things that are going on in our world and how fear is so rampant. So many people are so afraid, and, and we are not supposed to be. As, as children of the Most High God, the perfect love that God sheds abroad in our heart, uh, assuring us that, number one, we're his kid. And God doesn't ignore his kids. God doesn't abandon his kids. God makes sure his kids have everything they need. And so in this world, we're going to have what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need to be able to be what God has for us to be and do what God has for us to do. So we don't have to be afraid. But I've heard that the word fear stands for false evidence appearing real. You know, a lot of the things we fear never come to pass. And we waste an amazing amount of energy and effort and emotion on something that never is going to happen. And so we need to operate in faith. Now, there was another thing I heard just recently that you, you took the letters from the word fear. And instead of false evidence appearing real, it's facing everything and rising. When you face fear, God has for you to rise up. Rise up in him. Rise up in confidence. Rise up in peace. Rise up in joy. Rise up in hope, knowing that what you're facing Jesus has already overcome. Amen? God is so good. So good. 
Well, we're, we're going to continue on this week. Uh, I've been sharing with you about uh, the book of Ezekiel. It's a, a prophetic book. It points to, in chapter 37, it points to what was going on. Uh, God wanted to reveal what he was going to do in Israel. Israel was in exile. Uh, they were in captivity in Babylon because as they did cyclically, they would depart from God. When we move away from God, guess who we're moving towards? The enemy. Uh, one of the definitions of sin is to miss the mark of God. We get off track with God, and the moment we get off track with God, no matter what direction we're moving, we're moving away from Him. And we move into sin, and sin has this result that none of us want. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life through Christ Jesus. So when we start to depart from God, we move into sin, and sin causes us to be taken captive. When we turn our lives away from God, we're turning our lives towards something else that will control us. And nothing will control us in a good way except for God. When, when I in my life turned away from God and turned towards alcohol, I'm telling you, alcohol is a terrible master. It was destroying my life, my health, Anything other than God will destroy, but God will bring life. And, and so they had turned away from God. They had gone into captivity. They were under the dominion of Babylon. In Psalm 137, it, it tells what they were like. They were weeping. They said, we sat down by the rivers of Babylon and wept because they had no hope. Now, throughout our society, there are people with no hope. But as Christians, we should never be without hope because we are never without God. And the Bible tells us God is the God of hope that fills us with joy and peace in believing. So we got to believe that we would abound to even more hope, a confident expectation of good or God having his way by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so no matter what we face, we don't ever face anything alone. God's right there. And with God, all things are possible, and God will lead us in the best path for our life if we'll be willing to follow. And yet Israel wasn't willing to follow. They, they turned away, went their own way, and the Bible says we as sheep tend to go our own ways. And that's where we've got to recognize. Just look at our track record. When we make our decisions apart from God, they don't always work out for good, do they? No. No. No, it's good that we admit that because the more we admit what is true, the more we're not going to necessarily repeat it. So Israel was in a bad place. They were, they were absolutely hopeless. And God gets a hold of Ezekiel and begins to show him this prophetic vision of what he was going to do. How many of you know God is doing something? And And what God is doing, we may not know the specifics, but if we know the Bible, we know God is ramping it up. He's taken us from glory to glory. Eventually, the church is going to be without spot or wrinkle, a glorious, victorious church, so much so that God has to take the church out of the earth so that the rest of what's going to play out is going to play out. And so the church is going to be raptured then all hell is going to break loose on the earth. And if you thought it's bad now, that it's nothing compared to what it's going to be. And that's why we don't want to be here. And, and then, after a certain amount of time, the Lord is going to return and set up a thousand-year reign on the earth. And then at the end of that, everyone will stand before the, the judgment seat, the throne of God, and he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep say bah, bah. Goats butt, so don't be butting. All right? And, and then the earth is going to be destroyed with fire, and it's going to be recreated the way God intended it to be in the beginning. But there's so much ahead, and there's so much that God's going to do that is going to be absolutely supernatural, and he needs people that will be willing to trust him, obey him, 
and walk with him. Knowing him and making him known. And so in this, this vision, we started out last week, but before we go there to, to catch up, uh, let's just pray. If you bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence here. We thank you, Father, for uh, your word. Father, your word is life and health to those who find it. Your word is truth. It sets us free when we incorporate it and live by it in our lives. Your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you today, Father, that the entrance of your word brings light. But Father, we don't just need illumination. We thank you for Holy Spirit causing revelation to happen in our lives where we recognize what you're saying, but we also see how it applies to our life and how we can we can work that word in our lives. We can follow it. We can yield to it. We can obey it. We can honor it. That we would experience the, the transformation that you have for all of us to go from glory to glory. So, Father, today I ask you to, to speak to our hearts, my heart and everybody else's heart here, concerning us and concerning you and what, what you have for us in this world in this time. Father, we, we look to you, we listen for you, and I thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to address the church, Lord, your bride. Help me to speak your word the way you want it spoken clearly. And Father, I thank you for receptive hearts that will receive the implanted word of God and experience the life and transformation that comes from it. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so... We, we, if you would go to Ezekiel, if you're, you're, you have a, a Bible or an electronic device, but in Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1, we, we looked at this and we found out that, that this was a valley of dry bones, all right? There was, there was a valley, death was all around. And uh, I don't know about you, but we, we read in the scriptures in Psalm 23 that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know that we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? That's our walk here right now. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a valley where there's death, but I have. As a kid back in the 60s, my parents took us to uh, California and to the West Coast to see a number of things, and we drove through Death Valley. Now, there are some pictures I want to share with you today. These aren't pictures from our trip. But these are pictures of Death Valley. If you've never seen it, uh, this first picture is how you approach Death Valley. And there is a, a road through Death Valley that before you get to the valley, before you get here, there's a gas station. At least there was back in the 60s. There was one. And you kept seeing signs, last gas for 100 miles. Now, back then, uh, you filled up all the time. Back then, our car didn't have air conditioning. And so my dad was kind of freaking out, saying, I, I think we can make it through. And so we pulled into this gas station. And, and one of the things we saw as the cars were coming towards us out of Death Valley, we saw these things hanging off the front of the cars. They were like bags. They looked kind of like a backpack. And we thought, you know, this is, this is almost every car coming through had one. And we were like, what is that? We pulled into the gas station only to find out that they had these sweat bags, bags that you would fill with water, the water would permeate through the bag, and it would evaporate as you were driving. You put it on the hook of your hood out the front of the car. And so my dad said, well, we better get one of these. And we got one, and we were told in the gas station, this was a tremendous, tremendous marketing ploy, that if you have any trouble in there, you better have water. Well, you know, there, there weren't plastic bottles back then. And so this was the way you had cool water because of the evaporation. It would cool the water in the bag. So if you had any car trouble, you'd be able to at least have some water until somebody found you. And if they didn't find you, we can look at the second picture because we would see this. We were driving along, and you would see this cracked ground all through Death Valley. Now, Death Valley is the place where the hottest temperature recorded on the earth has ever been, 134 degrees. But... It doesn't get that way. That was back in 1919 or something like that, 1939. But it regularly hits 120. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of temperature. When I first moved out to California and worked, California hit a record 
of the number of continuous days that was over 110 degrees. And uh, it, was, it was brutal. I can't imagine 120. But the ground is all cracked. Everything is dry. We would see bones kind of like this along the side of the road. But even at night, when you go to the next picture, it's beautiful, but it's deadly. And, and so you've got to be prepared. You can't live in an environment like this. And, and that's where God took Ezekiel out to, a valley filled with bones. And in verse 1 of chapter 37, it says this, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Now, the valley you just looked at, I don't know if, if the valley that Ezekiel was seeing was that big or not, or bigger, but it was filled with bones. Wherever you looked, wherever you stepped, there were bones. And it says, he led me around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and they were completely dried out. So we've got this valley that is filled. Every bit of the valley floor is filled with these bones. But it doesn't say they were skeletons. These were bones that were all scattered about, mixed up, divided. And when you looked at them closely, they were dry, 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 where there was no life in them. Now, this is speaking about, we found out last week in verse 11, this is speaking about the nation of Israel. But it also has application to us today, to the world we live in, to our lives. There are things that have died that need to be resurrected in our lives. There's hope. There are dreams. There are situations in our life that we've experienced death that God wants to resurrect because that's what this is about. This is about resurrection life. And I am speaking today to Resurrection Life Church. That's who you are. This wasn't a name that we just went down a list and said, well, what would be a good name for a church? This was a name that was prayed about. And God spoke to the leadership of the church and said, this is the name I have for this group of people. Now, does that make us better than anybody else? Absolutely not. But God has a name for this body of believers. Resurrection, life, church. And I've shared with you in times past the word, the word life. He, he revealed to us that that word stands for love in full expression. Resurrection, love in full expression. Man, that's a high calling. But that's the calling that God has for us. And we know that we can't fulfill God's call without God. It's not about us trying harder or doing more or sacrifice. It's about obedience. It's about submission and obedience to God because what he's called us to do, he will produce in us if we'll just walk with him if we'll just depend on him, if we'll trust him and we'll obey him. But the bones were scattered all over. They were dry, 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 no life at all. And they were all mixed up. You know, there's a lot of division, a lot of confusion in the church, not just a church, in the church of Jesus Christ. Christians are at odds with each other. And that is the enemy working overtime because Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love, one for another. Love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't expose, it doesn't, it, it covers. It covers over. It's like an oyster with a pearl. But that's where we have to realize that if something needs to be done, God is waiting for us to look to him and be obedient to him. And at that point, Ezekiel was looking at all this, and in verse 3 it says, And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? We had talked about this. God's not asking because he doesn't know. He wants to make sure that Ezekiel has the right focus. He has got the right idea of what's going on. He knows who to depend on and who to look to. And he says, Can these bones live? Now, if you were, were Ezekiel, if I were Ezekiel, I wouldn't have come up with the answer he did. I would have probably said no. Because that's the natural response immediate. 
How many of you know we can't re rely on our immediate natural response? Because if he looked at those, God brought them all around to see everything. If he wanted to say, yes, Lord, he might have put them over on the side of the valley, not let them see everything. So he might have had a little bit of hope when he looked at what he looked at. Because he didn't see it all. But that's where God wants us to know. We can't just look at what we're surrounded by, what we're in the midst of. Because whatever it looks like, God may have something better. And God does always have something better. And in that moment, he said, oh, sovereign Lord, he acknowledged who God was. You alone know the answer to that. Now, I, I told you last week, that is the right answer for every question. Well, who's going to work this out? God alone knows the answer. And that's why we have to look to him. We need to listen to him. We need to be available to him so that God can have his way. Because every good and perfect gift comes from him. If your life and my life is not experiencing abundant life, then we need to look at What's hindering that? I want you to know the enemy can't stop it. He's already defeated. Unless we give attention and move away from God the way Adam and Eve did. But Ezekiel said, you alone know the answer to that. God alone knows the answer. That's why we need to be seeking God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to us. Then we go on in verse 4 through 6. And we see that he again said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So he says prophesy. And we learned last week to prophesy doesn't mean you have to say thus saith the Lord. It means to speak directed by or inspired by God. And you may say, well, I've never been directed or inspired by God. Have you ever read your Bible? I'm telling you, if you and I will read our Bible, if we'll hide his word in our heart, we can speak directed by, we can speak inspired by God. It's not about telling somebody their future. It's about speaking in a way that encourages them to trust God. We're all supposed to prophesy. We looked at this. We found out this last week. Uh, Jesus, Joel, Paul all talked about us prophesying. And so we need to prophesy, but don't, don't get it messed up where you think you've got you've to have the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. If God wants you to have that, you'll have that and you'll operate in it. But it's, it's as he wills. All these gifts are as he wills. But we need to speak inspired of God. We need to encourage each other. We need to encourage ourselves. And so he said to prophesy to the bones. Say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear what? Not what, what he was going to say, but what he was going to hear from God and say on behalf of God. And, and who's supposed to hear this? When was the last time you heard that bones heard? It makes no sense. Does it? But understand that God's going to say things that may not make sense to us. But the Word of God says we're not supposed to depend and lean on our own understanding. We're supposed to trust in the Lord with our whole heart. I can tell you over the years that I have been a Christian, God has not spoken to me, but I've had these nudges, these, these kind of awareness of doing things that, seemed absolutely crazy. And when I would be, a, be courageous enough and trusting enough and relying enough on God to be obedient, it would, it would always prove out that these things would end up in a great blessing. And I'm telling you, God wants your life to be more blessed than you want your life to be blessed. God wants your life to be so blessed that people look at you and they say, what is with you? How does this happen to you? And they realize that we're incapable of doing this on our own. But when God gets a hold of somebody and somebody lets God have his way, he does supernatural things in their lives and through their lives that nobody can explain except 
It had to be God. Had to be God. And so he says, thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know what? When God has his way, there's no way to explain it except we know that he is the Lord. He is the great I am. He is the Lord of all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he tells him what he's going to do. As he speaks to these bones, he tells him, this is what I'm going to do. Surely I will. Who will? God. When, when, when we're in relationship with God, when we're working with God, when we're walking with God, who has the big part and who has the little part? Who's got the big part? God. Who has the little part? We do. But it's big enough for us. You know, we get overwhelmed because we look at the big part. Raising the dead. When was the last time you raised the dead? I did when I got up this morning. But when we, we look at raising the dead, we know that's not possible for us. And yet it's happening. I was, when, when Debbie and I were down in Atlanta, I was talking to uh, Fernando. He's a man that is in the uh, missions organization SOS Adventures who are throughout Africa. They have been doing amazing things. And he was telling me of the resurrections that have happened. He has been right there. They have laid hands and prayed for people that were dead, no breath in them, that have been raised from the dead. And you and I can sit here and say, well, I won't believe it until I see it. Okay, Thomas. You know, we've got to believe before we see. That's faith. And if it happened there, why can't it happen here? Are we going to be willing to put ourselves in a position to believe God for the impossible? Because we believe God does the impossible. Or are we going to play it safe? Because God's looking for people that will trust him. Trust him. And that doesn't come all at once. It's not like all of a sudden we walk out of here and we say, okay, I'm going to go raise the dead. We don't do anything. We just obey God. Ezekiel spoke as God gave him the words to speak. Because our words don't carry the power that God's word does. And so as he spoke, he said, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Now that's, that's really interesting. That word breath is a specific word. And, and it's the word that means wind, breath, or spirit and is used when referring to the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that brings life. It's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in you. It's the Spirit of God that brings life. And so he said, I'll cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will put sinews which are tendons on you, bring flesh which is muscle on you, and put cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and then you shall know. Now, in the, the message translation, in verse 6 it says, I'll attach sinews to you, put meat on your bones, cover you with skin, and breathe life into you. Breathe life into you. You know, we try and get life from so many different sources. There are so many things out there that promise us a better life. And I have not found anything that has caused my life to be better than God. And we sang that. There is nothing better than him. It's easy to sing, but it's also easy to forget. Because we put a premium. We put a priority on a lot of things other than God. And yet, if there's nothing better than him, then there should be nothing more important, nothing more valuable, Nothing more desired and nothing more sought after than him. And yet, we battle this every day. There are all sorts of things that come to us that are trying to pull us away from God. 
and the enemy is behind that. He knows. He knows if we get a hold of God, we get saved, and God gets a hold of us, there's no stopping what God can do. How much of us does God have? I, I, I can't answer that for you. And I don't even know for me, but I know this. I want more to be in God's control than my control or anybody else's. You'll live. You'll live. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection comes from only one. There's no one but God that can resurrect the dead. And you'll know that I am the Lord. If we really knew that he is Lord, we really recognized and understood that he is, is almighty God, that there's nothing too difficult for him, nothing impossible for him, then we would abandon trusting in everything else and put all our trust in him. And, and so we see this and we realize this, but there's this process that's going on. He'll put sinews, he'll put the, the ligaments together because that's how the bones come together. Bones are held together by ligaments and then muscles and then skin. But ligaments, muscles, and skin don't make life. See, there's a process that goes on, but there has to be life. And as much as, as these things are starting to happen, and this is the process God's going to do, there has to be life, there has to be breath, there has to be spirit. And this is the same process, very similar to the process that we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God created man. Remember that? The Bible says God formed man of the earth, from the dust of the earth, and breathed into his nostrils the what? God formed man. Just the way we are, he took the very thing he created, dust, the earth, and he began to form man. Every part of him, bones, tendons, muscles, organs, skin. And when he got done, there was what appeared to be a man. But there was no life in him. What God did was he breathed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's the same thing that he's saying is going to happen to the, these bones. He's going to put them together. Because Ezekiel is speaking the word of the Lord to the bones. And the bones are actually the house of Israel, speaking to the house of Israel. He's prophesying, he's speaking life to people that have no hope. That are dead before they died. Do you know there are people that, they don't live a life, they just exist. And as Christians, we should never be that way. We're supposed to be experiencing abundant life. And we may have all the things we need, except we don't have a lot of breath. If you've ever been around a person that couldn't breathe very well, they couldn't do much. My mom was that way. Near the end of her life here and close to the beginning of her life in eternity, she had a hard time breathing. And so when she would get up and walk a little bit, she'd be wiped out. Not much of a life. And that's why we're so grateful that she is experiencing absolutely unhindered, abundant life. And do we miss her? Yeah, we miss her. But we're going to see her again, and we're going to enjoy eternity together. So, yes, there's, there's, there's a disconnect, but knowing that there is a reconnect that will never be disconnected again. But when we don't have breath, it's hard. If you ever had the breath knocked out of you, you know, I, I remember that happening, and I remember everybody running up to me and saying, are you okay? Are you okay? I, 
You can't even speak. You don't feel like you're okay. You don't feel like you're going to be okay. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. Knock the breath out of you. Knock the breath out of you. And yet he can't. When the Spirit of God comes to live in you and me, he'll never leave. But we can ignore him. We can try and do life without him, without his breath. And so in, in verse 7, he formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's very similar to what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead and met the disciples after his resurrection in the room that they were locked in because they were afraid of what the Jews were going to do to him. And in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, we see this. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he did what? He breathed on them and said to them, Receive what? Who? The Holy Spirit. At that moment, they had been followers of Jesus, and he breathed life into them. They became born again. But how many of you know that he told them later on, just because you have the Spirit of God in you, don't leave until you receive what? Power from on high. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He talked about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, there is a difference between being having the Holy Spirit in residence and having the Holy Spirit in control. I just told you, Holy Spirit will never leave you as a Christian. The moment you are saved, the Spirit of God comes in resonance in you. But that doesn't mean that he's in control of you. That is a lifelong process here where we're continuing to turn more and more and more of our life over to the control and direction of Holy Spirit. And we can tell whether that's happening. There's an indicator. What did Jesus, what did the Word of God say? You'll know them by what? Their fruit. And so the indicator is when the Spirit of God gets control of us, we give control of the Spirit, to the Spirit of God in the areas of our lives. We begin to reveal the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The more Holy Spirit has control of our lives, we give control over to Him. We look to Him to guide us, govern us, and guard us in every situation, in every decision, then the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our life. And all of a sudden, people begin to see Christ in us, who's the hope of glory. He breathed on them, they received the Holy Spirit. We can have this breath, Holy Spirit in us, but it's also when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 in the Message Translation, it tells us this, every part of Scripture, what does that leave out? Nothing. Every part of Scripture is, what's it say? God breathed. Can I tell you? That I believe as you read the Scripture, as you hear the Scripture, as you meditate on the Scripture, as you speak the Scripture, there is breath that is happening. The breath of God. The more of God's Word we get in us, the more breath will fill us. His breath. And it's useful, one way or another, showing us truth. What does truth do in our lives? It sets us free and keeps us free. Exposing our rebellion. Now I want you to know all of those apply to, every one of these things apply to every one of us. We need to see the truth. We also need to see where we're rebelling against God, where we're going our own way. Correcting our mistakes and training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are what? Put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. We're put together and shaped up. 
Now, when you think, well, what's he mean by shaped up? If you were going to go out and run a marathon, would you wait for the day to say, okay, I got to get some sneakers? <laughs> I hope not. And even if you did wait for that day to get them, you'd still be in a world of hurt. You got to get in shape. That's what God's doing right now in the church. God is shaping us up, getting us in shape. God is putting us together because it's not just one of us that needs to run this race. We need each other in this race. I remember when I was, <laughs> I was coming back from, from uh, my motorcycle injury and, and trying to get back in shape, and, and I decided I was going to do something I had never done before. I decided, well, you know what? I know that swimming is good for me and biking is good for me and, and you know, running not so good, but I probably should walk. And uh, with all that, I decided I was going to do an Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I went to the person I knew that knew about this, and, and Pastor Jeremy was so kind to me. When I went to him and I said, listen, you know, I've, I've been swimming, I've been riding my bike, I, I, I want to do an Ironman. And you know what? Pastor Jeremy didn't laugh at me, at least to my face. He can't even look at me now. <laughs> but, but what happened was he said, all right, let's break this down. And, and if you swam the distance in this much and you bike the distance in this much time, you could probably walk the marathon. And I thought, yeah. And then he said, but you know, we probably ought to start a little smaller. And so he helped me train, and, and I was able to do uh, one of the, the uh, triathlons out at Lake Delta that he and another man put on. And uh, it was, it was, it was. And I was okay in the water, and I was okay on the bike. And then came the run, and I realized I was over my head. Just a few steps into it. And I will tell you that Pastor Jeremy was so good to me that he, got, he was on his bike encouraging a lot of people, but then he saw as, as I was running that I probably wasn't going to make it. And he took his bike and he rode next to me. And he encouraged me until I went over the finish line. And I will tell you that that comes back to me regularly. Because in that moment, he, didn't, he knew what he was doing, but he didn't know what he was doing. He was acting just like Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God acts in our life. Every step you take, every place you and I go, everything that we do, He's right there. He's there not to say, you know what, get your head up. Never did Jeremy say, your posture stinks. And I'm just trying to keep it together. <laughs> he was like, you can make this. Not too much farther. We're going to go around one more time. You can do this. You can do this. That's what Holy Spirit does. The breath that we need because I was ready to quit. I knew I couldn't. And whatever you believe is what you're going to get. And yet in that moment, I heard somebody who had more knowledge than me, saw a bigger picture than me, knew me, and said, you can do it. You can do it. Just keep going. Run up to that corner. Run down that path. You can do it. That's what the breath of God does for us. That's why they need it. That breath. 
those bones, the Israelites, you and I need the breath of God. We need the Spirit of God. Not just Sundays, not just in the hard times. We need Him all the time. Because the Bible says those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The sons and daughters of God. When it says sons of God, it, it's, it's not about gender. It's about what that means. It means builder of the family name. Without us being empowered and directed by the Spirit of God, we're going to build all sorts of things, but it's not going to be the kingdom of God. The only way we can build the kingdom of God is by the Spirit of God. We're put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Without it, we're not going to make it. But with Him, we will make it. And then, then in verse 7, it says this. So I prophesied as I was commanded. There was no discussion. There was no explanation. He did what he was told to do. God is looking for, for us to be obedient. And as I prophesied, do you notice that he did what God had for him to do and immediately as he was speaking the words that God gave him? It says, there was a noise. And suddenly. You know, some of you, you're, you're, you've been holding on and holding on and holding on. And, and God wants you to hold on. But hold on to Him. Hold on to hope in Him. Hold on to the Spirit of God, the Word of God. And, and know that there's a suddenly coming. Close your eyes. Some of you have been waiting and waiting and waiting, believing, 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 and so tired, just like I was running. I was so tired. And I was absolutely convinced I couldn't make it. And some of you are getting to that place where you feel like you just can't make it. You can't keep holding on. But don't hold on to your project, to your dreams, your visions. Give them to God and hold on to God. Right now, whatever it is that, that you've been holding on to see life come back into it. If it's God, if it's what God has for you, God will bring life back to it. But you've got to give it to Him. Give it to Him. And there's a suddenly ahead of you. And you don't know how close you are to it or how Far you still have to go. But either way, God is there to keep you going. Now just let God know what it is. Because you've got to give it to Him right now. And I know it's easy to take it back, but every time you find yourself being concerned about it or worrying about it or trying to figure something else, you realize it's back in your control. Give it back to God. Father, right now I pray for everybody here, myself included. There are things that we've seen, that we have, we've seen die. There is no hope. But Father, we know with you there's always hope. You are the God of hope. You fill us with joy, which strengthens us, and peace, which sets us at one again with you. There is a security and a stability that comes when we, we receive your hope. Father, I pray that you would just breathe. Breathe on us here today. Breathe life back into us and hope and peace and joy. Father, let us make way and give place to Holy Spirit in our life. Where he's guiding and he's governing and he's guarding us. There's no one that can do it better. Father, I thank you that we are, we are, Resurrection Life Church. And we are believing for resurrection life. Father, help us to be reminded this is not just something that was picked out of a hat. This is what you called us. And this is what we can expect. Resurrection life. Raising from the dead. Father, that you, you alone can do this. But Father, our eyes are on you and our trust is in you. And we thank you for doing what only you can do. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to finish this up. So he prophesied, and there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, sinews and flesh came upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. You think God's going to leave it mostly done and say, take it from here? No, he's going to finish the work, and we're going to find out how it was finished next week. I just want to pray right now, if you just bow your heads, if you have never turned to Christ and recognized he gave his life for you and, and is waiting for you to give your life to him. Because without it, he's not going to force you to do anything. And even when he comes into your life, he'll never force you. But he wants to be able to be a part, involved in, in each one of our lives because we need it and because he loves us so much. If you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord, never prayed to receive Jesus as Lord of your life and receive the cleansing of all your past, the Bible says you become a new creation in Christ. I want to pray with you today. And if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand. Say, that's me. And I trust everybody here has. If you haven't and you want to see me, or see one of the ushers after the service, and we'll pray for you. For the rest, Father, I thank you right now for your spirit being in residence in us. But Father, help us not to just have him in the suitcase of our life. We want him to be in the front of our life. We want him to be leading us, guiding us, empowering us and imparting to us wisdom and gifts, that, Father, as we let Holy Spirit have his way in our lives, that, that the fruit would be coming more evident, more evident than ever before. And people could not deny that we, Lord, are your disciples by our love, our love for you and our love for one another and all people. Father, I thank you. I expect, we expect resurrection life to be occurring throughout all the dry bones of our lives. And Father, we're going to tell. Tell the testimony of how faithful you are. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, would you stand?